Good morning and welcome to The Ripple, your podcast for all the circles in your life. Welcome to episode 35 and our first of 2021. We're back from our winter break and today we'll be bringing you a deep dive into three topics. COVID in Vermont, the state of Georgia's Senate runoff, and this new strand of COVID that seems to have originated in the United Kingdom. On top of that, we'll also have a sports update. Let's go ahead and get started. Our first topic is about COVID in Vermont. I have a few interesting stories that I'd like to share with you about how things have been going with COVID in our state. As of today, I have the following updates. Tuesday, yesterday, uh, Vermont health officials reported 165 new cases, which brings our total in the state to 8,038. There have been a total of 149 deaths. The state's percent positivity seven-day average is 2.8%. A total of 719,000 tests have been conducted. 307 travelers are being monitored. 11,885 travelers have completed monitoring. And 5,463 Vermonters have recovered. How COVID is going to impact the start of the legislative session in Vermont is that the session's going to kick off with most of the pomp and circumstance that usually occurs face-to-face now occurring remotely. Democratic Representative Jill Krawinski, the presumptive incoming Speaker of the House, says they are trying to make it as normal as possible during the COVID pandemic, except it'll be on Zoom. The Senate will also be meeting remotely, but new Lieutenant Governor Molly Gray will be sworn into office Thursday in the Senate chamber. Governor Phil Scott will also be sworn in on Thursday for his third term, and he's scheduled to give his inaugural address. However, this first uh, case, this first case of the new faster spreading coronavirus that originated in the United Kingdom has hit close to the region with a case being reported in Saratoga, New York. Saratoga Springs in Saratoga, New York is only about 45 miles west of Manchester, Vermont. Some people there are worried that people from Saratoga frequent the area to go skiing, and because of travel, people say they would not be surprised if the strain is already in Vermont. It's not that far from here. So many people are going back and forth, running errands and stuff like that, so it is concerning, said Daniel Morin of Arlington. Matthew Jenkins of Jamaica, Vermont, skis every morning at Stratton Mountain, and he says a lot of people from Saratoga travel there too. He says as long as he's outdoors, it doesn't bother him. The base lodge is closed, so there's no going inside, so it doesn't concern me at that point. I may change my mind, though, he said. Another person said that it's scary to a point, but we just need to get back out there and live our lives. Ryan Gothier, who lives in Wardsboro, Vermont, but originally from Boston, is being cautious and taking it day by day. The new strain has probably spread so much that we already know in the that we already know in the community it's here right now and could uh, we wouldn't even know it. I assume that it's here, frankly," said Doctor Wouter Ritzma, an infectious disease specialist at the Champlain Valley Physicians Hospital. Ritzma says the new strain is serious, but there's still more to be discovered. Obviously, if it infects more people at the end of the day, the numbers go up. What we really don't know. What we really, really don't know is how much more infectious it is, Reedsma said. 
Vermont Health Commissioner Dr. Mark Levine says he does expect that this new strand will reach the Green Mountain State. Governor Phil Scott said on Tuesday that Vermont is among the top states in rolling out the coronavirus vaccine so far, but admitted that much more needs to be done to get more people vaccinated faster. Vermont has so far received 30,000 doses and administered 17,653 of those doses. That's the seventh best rate in the country and twice as fast as the national average. As of Tuesday, the state is a quarter of the way through Group 1A, which is healthcare workers and long-term care facilities. While Scott says the state is on the right track, a lot of a lot remains out of the state's control. He said, I think we're doing pretty well, but we can do better and we will do better. Health officials say that there's a lag time in getting the vaccine into Vermonters' arms because they can't schedule vaccine appointments until the vaccine arrives in the state. And with continuing supply chain issues at the federal level, they can't schedule appointments as far out as they would like. If you look at the statistic right now, it'll look like none of the doses that have none of those doses have been used. And as each day goes by, only a quarter of them will be used. So it may look like we're behind, said Dr. Mark Levine. And more new vaccines could be on the way. The AstraZeneca vaccine, which was developed at Oxford in England, has been approved by the UK. And a vaccine from Johnson & Johnson could be coming as early as the end of January. Once Vermont has a consistent supply, Phil Scott says a widespread vaccination campaign can begin. We will ramp up our efforts to distribute the vaccine as quickly as we receive them. It would be helpful if we knew what the supply chain looked like and we knew how much we were going to get each week on a consistent basis, Scott said. As, the as vaccinations ramp up, Levine says that they are keeping an eye on this more infectious variant of the coronavirus, known as B117. There's no evidence the new strain is more deadly, but he said it could spread faster and put more Vermonters in the hospital. Levine says he doesn't agree with plans that are happening in the United Kingdom to just give one shot to get more people vaccinated. Levine says that that would be going off-label and worries that that wouldn't be as effective as giving the two doses. The state is still moving forward with its plan in the next phase of vaccinations for people 75 and older and those with health conditions. Levine urged people not to call or write and that Vermonters will know when it's their turn to be in line. Governor Scott and Levine urged Vermonters who may not have followed COVID guidelines over the holidays to get tested now and prevent a potential virus spike in the coming weeks. We are trying to prevent people from pain and suffering and we are focused on saving lives, Phil Scott said. In order to get tested, individuals simply need to call their healthcare provider or go to a participating pharmacy like Kinney Drugs or Walgreens or walk into an urgent care center like Clear Choice. As COVID cases continue to rise around the country, Vermont officials are also seeing concerning trends in the Northeast. Vermont considers the Northeast to be New England, New York, and Quebec. COVID cases here went up 20% last week with 176,000 new cases reported. The latest state modeling shows that it's not just cases going up, but hospitalizations too. They're up 85% in the Northeast since December 1st and 13% since the Christmas holiday. Those numbers compounded by holiday travel are a major concern. Even though travel into Vermont for the holidays was down by half, it's still the most travel into the state of any point during the pandemic so far. Vermonters who live in ski resort towns tell WCAX that they're seeing more and more out-of-state visitors and they're concerned those visitors aren't always following health protocols. 
When asked about that Tuesday, Governor Scott said there isn't any conclusive data pointing to a connection between ski resorts and rising cases in southern Vermont, and that it's up to the resorts to enforce the rules. Scott says, while we're concerned, we're monitoring the situation. Very difficult in some respects to ramp up enforcement. Vermont is also bracing for an increase in cases, with a new estimated active cases in the state trending back to where they were back in early December. We're now 11 days out from Christmas, and we need more time to understand the potential impact of that event, plus another 10 days or so to see the full impact of New Year's Eve, said Commissioner Mike Peacock. And while it's still too early to know the impact of the holidays, the health department contact tracers have learned of some cases connected to holiday gatherings. Depending on how well Vermonters abided by the rules, the state could either see a spike with a projected average of 200 cases per day by late January, or without a spike, cases could stay flat at about 100 cases per day for the rest of the month. Commissioner Levine says they should have a better idea of which path the state is on by this Friday. And now we'll take a short break and head over to our national news story. For our second news topic today, we're going to be looking nationally. We kind of have a two-parter on our national news today because yesterday there was an important state Senate runoff election in the state of Georgia where actually both Senate races were up on our special runoff election because no clear winner was chosen in the November elections. The other thing we're going to look at is that today, um, on Wednesday as you're listening to this, there is going to be a joint session of Congress where the U.S. House and U.S. Senate gets together to certify the Electoral College results. However, in this kind of most remarkable of presidential elections, that is also going to be up for debate a bit. So we're going to take a look at both of those. Let's dig in. The Democratic Party of the United States is on the verge of taking control of the Senate as a result as results come in from the two elections in Georgia. Raphael Warnock, a pastor from Atlanta, is projected to have won one of the Senate seats. The other is still on a knife edge and undecided. If the Democrats win both, then Mr. Biden will have a much better chance of pushing through his legislative agenda. The election is being rerun because of Georgia's rule that a candidate must take 50% of the vote in order to win. None of the candidates in November's general election met that threshold. With 98% of the votes counted, TV networks and the Associated Press News Agency have called the first of the two races for Mr. Warnock. Control of the Senate in the first two years of Mr. Biden's term will be determined by the outcome of the second runoff. Mr. Warnock is set to become the first black senator for the state of Georgia, a slave state in the U.S. Civil War, and only the 11th black senator in U.S. history. Claiming victory, he paid tribute to his mother, Verlene, who as a teenager worked as a farm laborer. He said, quote, the other day, because this is America, the 82-year-old hands that used to pick somebody else's cotton went to the polls and picked her youngest son to be a U.S. senator, he said. Although Democrats would need to take both seats to gain full control of Congress, the Republican Party, the Republican Party of outgoing President Donald Trump only needs to win one of the seats in order to retain control of the Senate. More than 98% of ballots from Georgia's 159 counties have now been counted. The remaining votes come from the Atlanta suburbs, which are projected to go heavily towards the Democrats. So what's at stake in Georgia? If both Democrats win, the Senate will be evenly split 50-50, which allows the incoming 
uh, vice president, Kamala Harris, to be the tie-breaking vote. This would be crucial for pushing through Mr. Biden's agenda, including key issues such as health care and environmental regulations, policy areas strongly contested by Republicans. The Senate also has the power to approve or reject Mr. Biden's nominees for cabinet and judicial posts. If Mr. Ossoff and Mr. Warna both win, it would bring the White House, Senate, and the House of Republicans under Democratic control for the first time since President Barack Obama took office in 2019. So why does the George, why does election in Georgia matter so much? Well, the upper chamber of the U.S. Congress, known as the Senate, has been controlled by the Republican Party since 2014. It's very important in getting new laws passed, cabinet appointments confirmed, and Supreme Court justices on the bench of the highest court. If the Democrats win both seats in Georgia, the extra two seats would give them effective control. Each party would have 50 senators, and it's become increasingly rare for senators to vote against their party. Technically, though, there are only currently 46 Democrats and two independent senators, Bernie Sanders from Vermont and Angus King, but both of those typically vote with the Democrats. So it would be a 50-50 tie. Democratic Vice President Kamala Harris would have the deciding vote in her role as the Senate president. If Democrats pick up the two seats and forge a 50-50 tie in the upper chamber, it is far from certain that Biden will be able to enact the kind of sweeping legislation on the environment, healthcare, and the economy that he's proposed during his successful presidential campaign. The narrowness of the margin will ensure that any laws will have to be supported by people and senators that are more in the center politically, like Joe Manchin of West Virginia and the two senators from Arizona. It will, however, give the new president a fighting chance at legislative accomplishments and make it significantly easier for him to appoint the administration officials and federal judges of his choice. If the Republicans hold on, remember they only need to win one of the two Senate races in Georgia, that would mean two more years of a divided government and probably legislative gridlock. Democratic hopes will rest on the whims of majority leader Mitch McConnell and a handful of his Republican moderates. So what happens next? Well, today on Wednesday, more political drama is set to unfold in Washington, D.C. as lawmakers gather in a special joint session to ratify the results of the November presidential election. The typically procedural affair, which will affirm Mr. Biden's victory, has become unusually contentious, with about a dozen Republican senators vowing to challenge the results. The group led by Senator Ted Cruz and including Ms. Loeffler, who's up in one of the runoff elections in Georgia, wants a 10-day delay to audit unsubstantiated claims of election fraud. The move is all but certain to fail, as most senators are expected to endorse the results that have already been certified by the U.S. states. Vice President Mike Pence is set to preside over the session in his role as President of the Senate. He has come under pressure this week from Mr. Trump to reject the certification, but Vice President, but the Vice President told Mr. Trump at their weekly lunch on Tuesday, that he has no power in Congress to block Mr. Biden's win. That's according to the New York Times. Mr. Mr. Trump said that the report from the New York Times was fake news. Supporters of Mr. Trump will be demonstrating in the Capitol, trying to disrupt the presidential election. Mr. Trump is expected to address this march, known as the Save America rally, in the nation's Capitol Wednesday, today. The mayor has asked for the na- the mayor of Washington D.C. has asked for the National Guard to be deployed in the city amid fears of unrest. Mr. Biden, the Democratic nominee, is due to be inaugurated as president on January 20th. 
President Trump has refused to concede defeat in the election to Mr. Biden, who won 306 votes to Mr. Trump's 232 in the Electoral College, which confirms the president. Mr. Biden won the popular vote by more than 7 million votes. U.S. lawmakers are set to meet today to confirm Joe Biden's victory at the presidential election, along with protests from Trump supporters. Again, a joint session of Congress is going to count and confirm the Electoral College votes. Some Republicans have pledged to support President Trump's efforts to overturn the result by formally objecting at the session in a bid that is almost certain to fail. Hundreds of National Guard members are being mobilized. Supporters of Mr. Trump have already begun gathering in Washington, D.C. to rally against the certification. So what exactly happens in Congress? Well, the two houses of Congress, the House of Representatives and the Senate, will hold a joint session on Wednesday where they will open sealed certificates from the 50 states that contain the record of their electoral votes. Under the U.S. system, voters cast their ballots for electors, who in turn formally vote for the candidates weeks after the election. Mr. Biden received 306 of these votes. Bipartisan representatives from the two chambers will read the results on Wednesday and do an official count. There is a split in the Republican Party with dozens of House of Representatives and a smaller group of senators expected to object to the count from some of the key swing states. Senator Ted Cruz is leading a group of about a dozen senators calling for a 10-day delay to audit the unsubstantiated allegations of election fraud. Vice President Mike Pence, who is the president of the Senate, is due to oversee the session and declare Mr. Biden the winner and said he welcomed the move. He stopped short of repeating allegations of fraud, but said that his chief of staff said, but Mike Pence's chief of staff said Vice President Pence shared what he called, quote, the concerns of millions of Americans about voter fraud and irregularities, end quote. By U.S. election law, Mr. Pence's duty in the proceedings is purely administrative, but Mr. Trump has urged the vice president to, quote, come through. Objections that are endorsed by a member of the House and a member of the Senate must be considered by lawmakers in a two-hour debate, followed by a vote. However, for an objection to be upheld, a majority in both chambers must vote in favor of the objection. Republicans hold the majority in the Senate, but some of their members have already said they will not contest the results. Democrats are in majority in the House. Top Republicans have said the Senate's role in certifying the election is largely ceremonial and should not be an opportunity for further lengthy debate about the result. Senate Majority Leader Republican Mitch McConnell has already recognized Mr. Biden's victory and has asked other Republicans not to object. We'll see what happens as it unfolds today. And now we'll take a quick break and take a look at this new strand of the coronavirus that seems to have originated in the United Kingdom. I thought in order to understand this new strand of the coronavirus that um, has started in the United Kingdom, we would look directly at a story out of England. So I have gone to the BBC News, which stands for the British Broadcast Company, um, and pulled a story from them that talks about what life is like in England right now. So let's dig into that so that we get an understanding of what this new virus is and what's being done about it. So from the BBC, they say, well, it feels like we are back in March of April of last year when the strict controls of all of our lives led to a fairly quick decline in levels of the coronavirus. 
But one of the crucial differences this time is that the new variant, which is thought to spread 50 to 70% faster than the previous forms of the virus. Experts warn that there are no guarantees that lockdown will be enough to bring the variant under control. Quote, it would still not have been easy, but it would have been much easier situation if it had not been for this new variant, said Professor Neil Ferguson from the Imperial College London, told BBC Inside Health. That really pushes the bounds of our ability to control the spread of the virus, even with the measures that were previously relatively quite effective. The coronavirus spreads when we come into contact with each other. So moving classrooms online, telling people to stay home and closing shops breaks many of those opportunities for human contact. What we need to consider in terms of how uh, quickly the virus spreads is what's considered an R number. So we're taking a little trip towards math here. What the R number is, is the average number of people each infected person passes the virus onto. So it was about 3.0 in the run-up to the first lockdown, which means that one person carrying the virus infects three people that they come into contact with. Any number above one means that the cases are climbing. During the first lockdown in England, the R number fell to 0.6. So that means that of every 1,000 infected people, they're going to pass the virus on to 600 others. Those 600 people will pass it on to 360 others and so on. But because the R number is below one, it means that each passing, less and less people get infected. However, this new variant is 50% more transmissible when what that does to the R number would make it at about 0.9 instead of 0.6. So if we go back to our example of 1,000 infected people, that means that they pass it on to 900 others. Then those 900 others pass it on to 810. So what it does, as you can see, is it leads to a much slower decline. And that assumes that the lockdown in England can get the R number down to 0.9 in areas where the new variant has become most common from the virus. If, as some studies suggest, the variant is about 70% more transmissible, then the R number may stay above one and cases may not drop at all. What they say is they can at best flatten the curve and keep numbers at roughly a constant level. And that's frankly why there is so much emphasis on getting the vaccine into people's arms as quickly as possible, said Professor Ferguson. It's hard to lock down even harder as there are some parts of society like hospitals and supermarkets that need to be kept open. What happens to the number of cases over the coming weeks in England will be closely monitored. If this lockdown is less effective, then they will have to live with the lockdown for much longer. There have been some encouraging signs over there, though, from the Christmas break, which was a little bit like lockdown because school holidays and other restrictions. We are in a very difficult situation here, but my initial assessment of the last few days is that the rate is slowing, which is good news, said Professor John Edmonds of the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. He added, it looks like those restrictions should be sufficient to stop the increase. Whether they will be sufficient to bring the cases down is something they're yet to see. Eventually, the vaccine will give people immunity, so we do not need the same controls of our lives. Now, more than ever, this is a race between the virus and the vaccine. And now, we'll take a quick break and get you... On to sports. For nearly three decades, wide receivers had failed to win the Heisman Trophy. 
However, that ended Tuesday night when Alabama senior Devonta Smith was presented with the award during a virtual ceremony. Smith became the third Alabama to claim college football's most prestigious award and the first wide receiver to do it since Michigan's Desmond Howard did in 1991. Smith beat out three other finalists, all of whom were quarterbacks, Alabama's Mac Jones, Clemson's Trevor Lawrence, and Flora's Kyle Trask. Smith won the award with 1,856 points, with Lawrence finishing second. The NBA regular season is in full swing. Most teams have played around eight games. In the Eastern Conference, the Philadelphia 76ers have gotten off to the best start, opening the season with an impressive 6-1 record. Following them is, a, is the surprise of the bunch so far, the Orlando Magic. Local favorite, the Boston Celtics, are off to an okay start with five wins and three losses. They are being led by Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown seems to have really made a jump in his game in this latest offseason and has impressed with a number of performances so far. Last year's Eastern Conference rep from representatives to the NBA Finals, the Miami Heat, have their record sitting at 500 with three wins and three losses. In the Western Conference, however, it's no surprise that LeBron and the Lakers are off to a strong start. They sit atop the Western Conference with a 6-2 and two record. They are followed by the upstart Phoenix Suns, who will try to maintain their hot start. Steph Curry poured in 62 points in a game recently, and he is going to need to keep that up as the Warriors are off to a 4-3 and three start. It will be interesting to see, however, if Curry can maintain that. He clearly seems to be missing his sidekick, Clay Thompson. It's playoff time in the NFL, and with the expanded playoffs this year as a result of COVID, we're coming up on what the NFL is calling the Super Wild Card Weekend. Let's take a look at some of the games. In terms of looking at who won't be playing this weekend, the top seed of the NFC, the Green Bay Packers, are off this weekend. And the top seed of the AFC, the Kansas City Chiefs, are also off this weekend. In the NFC games this weekend, the New Orleans Saints will host the number seven seed Chicago Bears. That kickoff is going to be Sunday afternoon. As it stands now, the New Orleans Saints are projected to win that game by quite a bit. The number three seed Seattle Seahawks will host the number six seed LA Rams on Saturday afternoon with the Seattle Seahawks favored to win that game as well. The number four Washington football team will host the number five Tom Brady led Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Saturday. In that game, while the Bucs are the five seed and the Washington football team is the four seed, Tam Tom Brady's team is favored to win that game. So keep an eye out on that one. In the NFC, the number two seeded Buffalo Bills, Mr. King's favorite football team, is taking on the number seven seed Indianapolis Colts. That game is Saturday afternoon in Buffalo with the Bills predicted to win. The number three Pittsburgh Steelers, is Peterson's husband's favorite team, is hosting the number six Cleveland Browns. It'll be the third time that those teams have met up this season. That game is Sunday late night on NBC, and that is predicted to be one of the closer games of the weekend with the Steelers being slight favorites, although they just played last weekend and Cleveland did win. The number four Tennessee Titans and take on the number five Baltimore Ravens in a Sunday afternoon game. And again, with the Ravens being the lower uh, seed, However, they are predicted as favorites to win the game. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the NFL this weekend. 
before the teams move on to round two of the wild card weekend before they get into the divisional rounds. Now let's take a quick break before we sign off on this week's episode. And that's all for this week's episode of The Ripple. Thank you for giving it a listen. I hope you have a better understanding of some of the events going on in the world around us. And as always, have a sterling day. If I knew the way, I would take you home. Da-da-da-da. da 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 da